1 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, we're continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians and the gifts that the Lord has given the church. And, and one of the things that we may not consider a gift when we receive it is the gift of correction. Uh, how many of you like to be corrected? Let me put my hand down. Uh, none of us like correction at the time of the correction. The Bible even says that. None of us like discipline during the time we're receiving discipline. But God gives us this gift of correction, and it is indeed a gift, because when you are in, going in the wrong direction, and the Lord corrects your path, that's a blessing, because it puts you back where you need to go. If you are doing things you should not do, and the Lord corrects you, that's a blessing, because He is taking things out of your life and replacing those things uh, with what is intended there for you to have a life that is, is fulfilled and a life that is pleasing unto the Lord. So I want us to read together 1 Corinthians 3. We're going to read the entire chapter. Stand with me if you would. 1 Corinthians 3 starting in verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal as babes in Christ. Now let me pause there for one second and backtrack just a little. We talked about in the ending verses of, of chapter 2, Paul was making the case for living spiritually, living led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. But he tells the church at Corinth here, I can't speak to you in that way, but I have to speak to you as babes in Christ. Verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one of you take heed to how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is in Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yes, through fire. Did you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present or things to come, all are yours. 
And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Father, we pray that we might know the eternal security of knowing that we belong to you, to know that the correction, the rebuke that you give us puts us on the path in which we should go, that we might be fulfilled in your eyes, and Lord, that our lives may be pleasing unto you. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. We all at some point in our lives need correction. And Paul is establishing in this passage of scripture the need for correction. He had just finished talking about what a great blessing it is to be walking in the spirit. How great it is for the spiritual man to long after the things of the spirit. How when we are called of God and we are ministering in the will of God that we are spiritual speak, people speaking to the spiritual needs of other spiritual people. And then he turns around and tells the church at Corinth, but hey, guess what? I can't talk to you like that. He's basically saying, I would like to talk to you about the deep, rich spiritual things of the Lord. I would like to dig into some greater understanding, into some deeper meaning. I want to get into the meat, to the flesh, to the bone and the marrow of the word. I want to dig into these things, but you guys are still on the bottom. That's what he tells them. How do we see that? These Christians were acting in the flesh. And now look, I want to tell you, I don't know how this fits you this morning. Alan was talking about filling the shoes of, of, of Bible school. Well, sometimes, you know, I wish I had steel toes on when I was working on these sermons because the Lord's got to preach it to me before he preaches it to anybody else. Amen. And, and, and listening to this and going through this word and understanding how many times we are driven by the flesh. And Paul tells the church at Corinth here, he says, guys, you are driven by the flesh. You are doing what your flesh wants to do. He's making the case for living spiritually above living carnally. And that's a word that's used here. That's not a word we throw around a lot in our day and time, carnal. But, but it means simply to follow after the flesh. To, to do what feels good. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker or whatever? If it feels good, do it. That's bad theology right there. Because a lot of times what feels good in the moment is not what should be. And the biggest problem the church at Corinth faced, and we see in this passage of Scripture, and in fact all through this letter, is that they faced this division. Division was their main problem. And that division was rooted in the flesh. They had division over what doctrine should be taught, what teachings should come from the pulpit. Uh, well, they didn't have a pulpit at the time. That's another, another story. That what teaching should come from the teachers that were teaching. They had division over that. They had division over stewardship. How should the resources that they had be used uh, when God had clearly called them to minister and to be the hands and feet of Christ in that area? They had arguments over how things should, should, should be taken care of. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been down that road. Uh, of how things should be used. I've heard of many churches that have been divided over the color of the carpet or the color of the drapes or whatever else you think of. You know, that they, this one wanted this and that one wanted that and so-and-so led to so-and-so and it became a big problem. I want to tell you, as somebody who's been involved in building a church, when our church burned in Folsom, there are a lot of touchy issues you get into with building something. Uh, where stuff should be and how it should be and all that. And most of the time, though, like we talked about in Sunday school this morning, most of our arguments, most of the arguments in the church at Corinth came, come from preference. It's not about necessarily what the Lord wants, but it's what do I want. 
And when you get I before God, you spell it wrong. Alright? We we need to understand that that it is about what the Lord wants, and Paul gets into that, but understand the divisions that are taking place. I want you to really see uh, the depth of of carnality that was going on in this church, the the hardships that they were facing, the self-imposed problems that they had because of these divisions over doctrine and over stewardship. They had division over status in the church. You had one over here going, Paul baptized me. You know, I'm a a disciple of Paul. And others, well, Apollos baptized me. He came after Paul did. So he must know more than Paul does. So he baptized me. And, you know, then you had those super spiritual ones that says, I'm a disciple of Jesus. Away with you, you know? And, and, and they were putting themselves on a pedestal. And they had division over that. And it all came down to the lust of the flesh. It came down to their carnality. They had division over marriage. Um, Paul gets into some real solid teaching later on in, in this letter over what marriage should be and how it should be taken care of and how sacred that is and so forth. Uh, and they had division over fellowship. He gets into the, 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 the Lord's Supper. And man, that's a, that's a great thing to, to study and understand what the meaning of the Lord's Supper is and what was taking place there, how they were arguing and fussing over the Lord's Supper. But all of these divisions sprang from one source. Carnal-minded people. People who said, this is what I want. This is how I want my church to be. This is what I want my fellowship to look like. These are the people that I want to be around. And Paul makes it clear that this spiritual immaturity was not by chance, but by choice. And so here's where we get to the application of that. So often, our spiritual immaturity is not because we haven't had the opportunity to learn and grow. It's not because we haven't had the place or the resources or not because we've not had the people around us, not because we've not had access to the Word of God, not because we've had access to the throne of God, but because we have chosen to feed the fires of the flesh instead of stoking the fire of the Spirit. And that is a practice. That comes with self-discipline. That comes with self-control. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. But if you don't nurture that fruit and help it to grow, it's going to wither and die. And pretty soon, instead of being self-controlled, you're going to be selfish and uncontrolled. And that's what was going on in the church at Corinth. And uh, unfortunately, that's what goes on in a lot of churches today. The need for correction. And first and foremost, if we don't look at our own personal lives and say, where do I need to be corrected? then it is hopeless for us to try to find the message in this passage of Scripture. Here's the thing I struggled with this week, and I confess this in Sunday school, and I confess it again, and looking at this passage of Scripture, I, I, I listened to a lot of sermons a couple of weeks ago, had the opportunity to hear some great sermons, our senior adult revival and some things there. And what I struggle with, and I know many of you do too, is as I'm sitting there listening to that sermon, I'm thinking, somebody needs to hear this. I got a cousin should just be hearing this, or so and so at church needs to be hearing that. Or you, you, you hearing the pre- hear me preach a sermon on Sunday, and you looking over at church, you're making sure somebody's listening. No, you don't do that, do you? We all do, because we all struggle with the flesh, and the flesh does not want to admit that it is fallible. 
We all like to think that we're indestructible or at least better than other people. Mighty quiet. I'm telling you what I'm feeling. I'm just hoping you can relate. It is hard for us to put others ahead of ourselves. Even when we do good to other people, as many in the church at Corinth were doing, there were good things going on, good things happening. But even in those good things, it was to the point of, look at us. Look at what we're doing. I, 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 I told you I listened to a lot of sermons and I listened to, to one the other day. Some sermons are really, really good and I get a lot out of them. And some of them I'm just like, boy, I'll never get that hour back, you know? And I was listening to one and I won't say who it was because generally this guy's a really solid teacher. But this one day I was listening to the sermon and boy, he was buttering that church's biscuit left and right. He was just telling them how awesome they were and what wonderful givers they were and what, you know, and they might be. And that might be encouraging in small doses. But I need somebody to tell me where I messed up because I'm not going to see it myself. I need somebody to get out the full length mirror and say, man, look at this. Do something about it. And that's where I believe the word of God comes from, that it tells us in the word of God that it is as one looking into a mirror and walking away, forgetting what he looks like. We need to understand our thoughts. And in looking at this passage of scripture, I go through a series of thoughts. It's like, man, I'm glad I'm not pastoring that church. Serious. There's some stuff going on in the church of Corinth, and I'm just glad I wasn't there. Is that okay? Yeah. And then I go, boy, I'm glad I don't have to deal with that problem. And then I go, oh, I know somebody needs to deal with that problem. And then immediately I go, I've got a problem I need to deal with. <laughs> That's how the flesh works. The flesh always starts here and moves out. But when you start with God and allow God to work from within, there are great things that can come about. And Paul gets into that. He says that you have been carnal, all these things are going on, you're arguing over who you belong to and, and, and so on and so forth. And then down in verse 6, he starts breaking that, down their arguments. And he instructs them about the importance of growing together. Here's the thing, Paul could have been at war with Apollos, but they were ministering together. They both had the same mission. I talked to the kids this morning, what is our mission? Our mission is to tell others about Jesus Christ. We should not find offense or fault when somebody wants to hear the word of God, no matter where they're hearing it from. So Paul indicates here clearly that he and his co-laborers are not the source of what needed to be heard. Many of them wanted to exalt the messenger. That still happens today. I talked about the pastor buttering the church's biscuit. A lot of people want to butter the pastor's biscuit, you know. Oh, he's just such a good guy. He's such a man of God. You know? And, and, and they're just, just I won't tell you. You put, that, put, put him on the pedestal high enough, that fall is going to be mighty hard. And, and, and I'm, I'm saying that not just me, but any pastor, any leader, any teacher, that you start to exalt them and you start, start to make them better than what they really are, you're setting them up for a fall and you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Because Paul says in the, further back in this passage of Scripture that we would not put our, our trust in the wisdom of men, but in the wisdom of God. Amen? 
And so, so we look at this passage of Scripture and we see what's going on. They were exalting the teachers. Now, don't get me wrong. I've got some pastors, some teachers that I just love. I love their teaching. I love what it is that, that God has said through them to me. But I know that they are men. And I know that they are capable of failure. But God is not capable of failure. And his word shall never fail. So in looking at this, I understand that's what's going on. But that's not a new problem. You look back in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges. One of my favorite Old Testament characters in the book of Judges is, is a man named Gideon. Because Gideon just had this awesome story of being the least of the least of the least. And you know his story starts out hiding in a wine press, trying to thresh out enough wheat for him and his family to get a loaf of bread. Hiding from the enemy. And the angel of the Lord comes in and says, Hail, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, who, me? You talking to me? And God takes Gideon and uses him to rally 30,000 men to fight. And then he says, you know what, Gideon, that's too many men. You know the story? And he whittles him down to 300 men. And they surround the camp of the enemy there with a torch in one hand covered with a, a ceramic pitcher and a trumpet in the other hand. And all at the same time, they break their, their pots and they blow their trumpet and the enemy thinks that they're being, being attacked and they all kill each other. Great story. Great picture of how God can use the least of the least to do a great thing. But the, the rest of that story is this. Gideon began to be exalted by the people to the point that his children became corrupted and the ephod that, that, that Gideon wore was put up in a high place as an idol of worship and it became a downfall for the children of Israel you know God tells stories like that if I was telling that story I'd stop at the battle because that's you know that's how a movie ends right they break the pots, the trumpets sound, the enemy's dead, Gideon rides off in victory. Now poor Gatorade on his head or whatever, you know? But that's not how it works. God says no because they put their trust in a man instead of God. They failed. And that's what the church at Corinth was doing. They were exalting Paul. They were exalting Apollos. They were exalting their teachers. And Paul sets them straight. He points them. Look right here in, in verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but what? God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything or he who waters, but what? God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. It is all about God working through the hearts and the hands and the minds of his children. He points them to the sovereignty of God. He says, do you want to know why I was there as your teacher? Because that's where God put me. Do you want to know why Apollos came in to instruct you in the ways of the Lord? Because that's where God put him. Do you want to know why I'm writing this letter to you today? Because God's giving you an opportunity to get some things Straight, you guys need to grow together. And he emphasizes the cooperation here. Again, verse, uh, 
Verse 9 there, he says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field. He emphasizes the cooperation. And that's what he keeps coming back to in this passage of Scripture, in this letter, in this epistle that he writes to the Corinthians, is that their division was making them ineffective. They had lost sight of the goal of the church, and they were squabbling among themselves, and nothing was taking place. No evangelism, no discipleship, no stewardship, no growth. Nothing was happening in the church at Corinth because of the carnality of the people who dwelled there. And he instructed them here to grow together. Thirdly, he tells them to build together. Same verse. Verse 9, he says, For we are fellow, God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. He switches the metaphor there real quick. He goes from planting and growing to building. And he says here that a few things in this passage. Let me, let me read it again. Uh, down verse 15, says, verse, he says, You are God's building. Verse 10, According to the grace of God which has given me as a wise and master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. Was well, he saying that God has allowed me to be the architect in this church? He said that God called me to Corinth to begin a ministry, to begin a church there among the people, to lay a foundation. And what is that foundation? The foundation is the gospel. We talked a couple weeks ago about the gift of the message. The central message of any church should be the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ came, that he lived a sinless life, that he died a substitutionary death on the cross of Calvary, that he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and rose on the third day that we might be saved. And Paul says that is the foundation. Jesus is the foundation. If you don't start with Jesus and go from there, it's all going to fall apart. And unfortunately today, many of us start somewhere else. And y'all have heard me say this many times. We want to do and do and do and we want to sprinkle a little Jesus on it at the end and call it sanctified. And that's not the way it works. That we have got to start with the will of the Lord. We have got to start with the gospel as our foundation. Everything that we do should be, the should be in the, the hopes and the purpose of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we go out to the fairgrounds next Wednesday and we sing in the Half Moon Bluff Church and we serve coffee, it should be to the growth of the gospel, to the kingdom of God. There are people that wander into that church that have not been in another church all year long and they're fascinated by some singing in this little log cabin and they come in here and they hear those gospel hymns. Now look, there's some bluegrass going on and there's some stuff going on on the stage and people are going to enjoy that and be entertained by it. But that little church might be the only place out there where they hear the gospel. That's just one example. Whatever it is that we do should be in the hopes of, of furthering the kingdom of God. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. Christ is the foundation and he is the reason to build. He goes on here, says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. And that's talking about judgment. Christ is the reason to build and Christ is the judge of what is built. One day I'm going to stand before God 
And I'm going to be judged in Christ because of my salvation. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I have no doubts, no regrets, all but hope in the, in the, in the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, His blood on the cross of Calvary. And when I stand before God, I know that I'm going to go into His presence because I'm saved. But my works will be judged as well. And Paul says there that, that you're, you're going to get there, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, you're going to get there and you're going to stand before God and your works are going to be judged. And if any of those things stand true, you receive a reward. But if any of them are destroyed because they weren't for Christ, you're going to be saved, but you're going to smell like smoke. You're going to be saved as through fire. You're going to come before Christ empty handed and say, Lord, I made it. And the unfortunate thing is in the church today, that's all right. We teach that in the church. That is, the, that is a lot of times the deep as we go. You saved, you go in heaven. I can tell you that in five minutes. You can go home. We don't ever have to have church again. But why do we come? We come that we might build on that foundation. That we might build our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That we might learn those deeper things and add to what Christ has already given us in the gift of salvation to live a fulfilling life. But not only that, that we might build the works of the kingdom. That we might be a part of a fellowship that believes in the furtherance of the gospel. And that the work that we do, the, the offerings or the ministries or whatever takes place might be for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. And that when we stand before God, that those things will be a reward, not for us, but for Jesus. That he might look at our lives and understand that we have been a part of what he wanted us to be a part of. That we are to build together. We're also to defend the church. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now, real quick, I, I got an understanding of this as I was studying it. I, when I was going through the first time studying, I won't get into all how I study, but I was reading through and I make little notes and I go back and I, I research some things. And in, in my notes, I put you, question mark, because I could be talking about you as a congregation, or I could be talking about you, Darren Thomas. I, and I would have to know which way I was be, it was being used, right? When studying the Bible, you need to do the same thing. And in looking that up, I found out that this is the plural you. Now elsewhere in Scripture, it says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, talking to individuals. So we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. But in this passage of Scripture, Paul's using the plural you. You are the temple, the church, the people of God coming together as the body of Christ is a temple. Both of these uses are true, but in this place is where we understand why division is so bad. This is why it was such a problem in the church is that they were the temple of the Holy Spirit. You, as Monroe Street Baptist Church, are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And if there is division among you, you are dividing, not each other, not fellowship. You are dividing the very temple of God. And Paul says if anyone destroys the temple, 
He will be destroyed. And this gets into the deception that was taking place. If anyone comes in and wants to destroy that church, I want to tell you that's why we need to be defensive of the pulpits in our churches today. That's why we need to understand that the teaching that comes from the Word of God should come from the Word of God and not just out of the blue. That's why we need to be strong in our determination that doctrine and sound teaching stands firm in the church today. I'm a, I, I saw a commercial the other day that just disturbed me. All these little platitudes and shallow teachers out there. And, and you know, you can get on the 900 number now and just call up and hear a recording from Joel Osteen just to make your day. Do you know that? Just, just dial it up and he'll tell you how good you are. I'm serious. That was a commercial on television. I thought it was a joke. I thought I was watching Saturday Night Live or something. You can call me up. That just disturb, Does that disturb anybody else? How would you feel if today, I said, I'm going to make a recording in my eloquent voice, and I'm going to charge you 95 cents a minute to call and just listen to me. That's the way I feel about it too. But that's what's going on. That's where we are today, and that's where the church at Corinth was. They were looking for someone to stroke their ego. And they said, look, Paul says, look, if you allow the church of God to be destroyed, God's going to destroy the very one who does it. That's why the Bible says that, that, that not many of us should be proclaimed to be teachers because we'll be held to a stricter judgment. And look, I'm going to get very personal in here for just a second. I've known men that have been in the center of church division. And there are hills worth dying on. If it's about the doctrine of the word of God, boy, you better stand firm. But if it's about anything else, you better pack up and go. Now, I'm talking about men in the pulpit. I'm talking about preachers. Because I've seen many churches destroyed because a preacher wanted to hold his ground doing what he wanted to do. Not necessarily what the word of God said for him to do. Now, I don't know how that applies to any of you, but I believe that's what the Word of God is teaching here. That as a pastor, I better be careful. We don't want to sow seeds of discord and seeds of division. You, as a church member, as a Christian, do not want to sow seeds of division and seeds of discord because we are called to defend the church. But fortunately, it is not up to us to do it on our own. Last couple of verses here. He talks about the wisdom of men in comparison with the wisdom of God. In verse 21, he says, Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. He said, it's not up to you. If you trust the Lord working in you, then all these other things are going to come into place. Matthew 6, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Here's the sermon in a capsule this morning, all right? If we listen to the Lord, do as He says, we don't have to worry about any of this. Listen to the Lord, do what He says. We don't have to worry about any of it. Church, I want to encourage you this week to dig into your Bible. Dig into your Bible. Find a good teaching ministry. Listen to somebody and follow up on it. Just, just research, learn, grow. 
If we spent half as much time reading our Bibles as we spent on Facebook, we'd be the most educated church on the face of the earth. All right? Get into the Word of God. Build on that foundation. Let's see what God can do in us.